I want to be able to feel that my time here on planet Earth has had that purpose and I've delivered that. I've been intentional about my life. I've added value to people. And in doing that, I add value to myself. I don't see service as some demeaning calling. No, it's a higher calling. It's over and above finances. It's something bigger than ourselves to contribute to our communities, our businesses, our homes. That's what service means to me. Hello, dear listener, and a very warm welcome to episode 107 of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and genuine subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader that you can possibly be. This week, we have a cracking episode for you and are joined by Teresa Payne for what I honestly believe is a real masterclass in leadership. Teresa is a solicitor and the managing partner at regional law firm Parfit Creswell, where she's spent the past 15 years developing and growing the legal teams that serve clients across London, Berkshire, Surrey, Sussex and Kent. But Teresa didn't take the traditional route to qualification as a solicitor and her legal journey didn't start until she found herself dealing with her own divorce. Her story really is the classic entrepreneur's journey. Her experience was the driver to qualification and has formed and created her commitment to providing access to great legal services and information for all. And this is something that we talk about in this episode. And I found it truly fascinating to learn how this deep sense of purpose shapes everything that she has done since. On top of that, we spoke about delegation and why we can often find this so hard, why we can struggle to let go and how to overcome that. We looked at service-based leadership. We spoke about recruitment and how do you find people who believe what you believe and share your purpose. And then there was talking about making time to plan and so much more. Teresa is also the author of two books with a third on the way. She has written The Good Divorce Guide and The Later Living Guide. And you can win copies of both of those books via the prize draw using the link that we've popped in the show notes for you. Before we get into this episode, folks, do please head over to the online courses page of my website at ben-morton.com, where you can sign up for my 10 for 10 leadership course. It's totally free. It's bite-sized and it covers some of the most common leadership topics and challenges that I get asked about. It also gets consistently great feedback from everyone who signs up for it. So do go and check that out. But for now, though, and without any further delay, let's get into this week's episode. And please enjoy my conversation with Teresa Payne. Teresa, a very warm welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. And first of all, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Ben. And um, I've really been looking forward to chatting with you today. Oh, good. It's it's interesting, actually. Often guests say, oh, I'm not sure if I've got anything to talk about. I'm not sure what, what I'll have to say. And then once we finish an episode, people normally say, actually, it was a really good opportunity just to sort of 
pause and reflect and think about leadership so yeah absolutely well I'm the same when you think about things you think well what am I going to say you know what what have I done even what what's my achievements what can I share because it's always about adding value isn't it and there's always that sort of moment you think oh I haven't got anything to say or anything of interest to say so I always find it a really um powerful reflection exercise and you chat about actually stages of your life that you've gone through and how it's formed you yeah for sure and based on our call a few weeks ago I'm very much looking forward to hearing about some of your experiences and your journey on that note can you start off for us please just by telling us a little bit about your career journey and the road that's got you to where you are today if you don't mind Yeah, I suppose it's not a typical, I'm a lawyer, I'm a solicitor, and um, I didn't actually grow up wanting to be a solicitor, you know, and it never even crossed my mind. And I think it it sort of stems, school just wasn't for me, you know, it wasn't the right environment for me. I ended up leaving with no qualifications. So the start of life was university degree, just wasn't on the cards for me. And, you know, as I said, I never even considered a career in law let alone having my own law firm. And I was very much a free spirit. I enjoyed life. You know, I I lived in Spain and Portugal and in all sorts of um, various jobs to support myself. And eventually I ended up getting married and having a child. But it wasn't until there was a trigger event in my life that I actually started thinking about what am I going to do in my life here? That trigger event was getting divorced and understanding that um, the divorce laws that we have in this country are really quite a challenge if you want to have a civilised divorce. So what actually happened to me was I went along to um, get some legal advice and I didn't have a great experience. It was a mix of service and actually the challenge in divorce laws that we have in, in this country. I decided after a really challenging year trying to sort things out that I could do better myself. And that's how the journey started. So I did my own divorce. And back in those days in the 90s, it was a case of going along to the local library. The internet wasn't really what it is today. You know, it was in this infancy. And having to trawl through books and working out how to fill out forms. And it stirred a frustration in me. And uh, realization that actually this wasn't a good event in my life this you know the divorce was bad enough but the process was even worse and I wanted to do something about that and I didn't want other people to go through that Mm. so I ended up going through back to university which was a bit of a challenge as I didn't have any legal qualifications so I had to go through the access to law route and to cut a very long story short I qualified in 2004 you know, that was a great event, but on reflection, it was really just the start. I realised at that point I was, you know, the, my purpose for doing this was to help people get through a difficult time in their lives. And I really enjoyed doing that for a, for a few years. But I got to the point where I realised that as one person, I could only do so much. Mm. And I needed to think about how do I create I suppose in in those days I was thinking more me's. How do I go about that? And I came to the conclusion I needed my own law firm to do that. 
And that's what I did in 2007 with a guy called Nigel Harper. We, we came together and we bought a small law firm in London, in Fulham Broadway. So we, at the time we had a team of six people. And that's what started the journey for really being able to scale up how many people we could help. Mm. It almost sounds like the classic entrepreneur's journey, right? You kind of experienced a service or product, thought you could do better, so set about kind of creating and building something new. Do you consider yourself to be an entrepreneur? Do you identify with that label? Looking back now, at the time, no, not at all. It was purely I wanted to follow my passion. And as the time went on, 2007, it was a very exciting time. But soon afterwards, we had the recession, the 2008 recession, and that hammered home that actually passion wasn't enough. Right. You you could be the best lawyer in the world. You could have the greatest ambitions, but actually without understanding how businesses work and becoming entrepreneurial in our approach to life, then we were going to struggle. Right. So you had to bring in that entrepreneurial flair and we had to think about what goes alongside our purpose mm. for helping clients. You know, you've got the legal side, but actually you, you have to have that additional ability of business development, growth, that sits alongside that. So I suppose in one sense you ask, do I consider myself entrepreneurial? Now I'd say yes, because I recognise the term, which I didn't back then. Right. And I always enjoy looking for opportunities to improve things. And I think that's a skill many entrepreneurs have. They identify a market or an area that they can add value to, mm. create an improvement to people's lives. Yeah, you touched on something else there that I think many entrepreneurs tend to have. It's almost a degree of restless energy, I think, where they're constantly looking, sort of not necessarily being unhappy with the current situation, but always looking to to improve and make things a, a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They want to make a difference. Mm -hmm. They are the difference makers. And I love that. I think there's an energy about that that really drives innovation forward. Mm -hmm and makes things better than we have today. Yeah. And I'm not sure what my question is here, but I've heard you say purpose quite a lot. And the thing that struck me listening to you talk is you mentioned sort of school didn't really work for you. And yet several years later, you embarked on sort of learning, studying to become a solicitor, which is very academic from an outsider's perspective. But yet it seems when the purpose was there, you suddenly had this new found hunger motivation to, to study when previously that wasn't something that, that interested you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the driver. And if I think back to my school days, I wasn't driven in any direction. It was just this download of educational information, some yeah. of which I didn't mind, some of it. I thought, why are we doing this? But once I could see it, I could be it. Mm, love that. But back in the school days, I couldn't see where I was going. So it was a lack of vision yeah. and the wrong environment for me. Yeah, fascinating. And the other thing I was really curious to ask you about, because again, it cropped up quite a lot when we spoke a few weeks ago, was this concept of, of service. 
what does service mean to you and how does it relate to you as a leader and, and a business owner? It's something that's very close to my heart. I think starting my career in the British military, it's all about, about service. My radar tuned in when I heard you mention that. Yeah, I mean, to me, service means making a difference to a person or a situation. It's all about that. In business, you can chase after the pound, you know, the pound notes, the money, or you can chase after the purpose. Mm. And I know which one gets me out of bed. We, we have to, um, just to be clear, we have to be profitable as a business to exist, and that's really important. But it's not our why. Our why is why we get up in the morning, why we go into the office or the home office or whatever it is now, and we do what we do, and we make that difference in people's lives. So my role now is to help our teams out of people because they help our clients, and that's how we scale up. We, we help people through really challenging times in their lives, and I think just personally how it relates to me is I, I want to be able to feel that my time here on planet Earth has had that purpose and I've delivered that. I've been intentional about my life. I've added value to people. Mm. And in doing that, I add value to myself. I don't see service as some demeaning calling. You know, it, it's a higher calling. It, it's over and above finances. It's something bigger than ourselves to contribute to our communities, our businesses, our homes. Yeah. That's what service means to me. And you mentioned there as well, sort of reflecting on the impact you want to have, what you want to, I forget your exact words, but almost how you want to leave this world, what you want to have have achieved. I'm curious, like how often do you find yourself reflecting on that? Is that quite a active, regular, regular process where you're somehow thinking about that and connecting with your what sounds like a very deep-seated purpose every day I plan what I want to achieve it starts the night before it's become a habit so it starts off um, if we go back a step what are we trying what are our goals at the moment are we working towards them or away from them? Every time we have to take something on, we have to create, we have priorities, obviously, to achieve. So it's it's always about deciding does something take us forward, keep us in the same place or take us back. So when I'm thinking of what I'm doing or creating, it's always with that in mind. Am I moving forward? Am I adding value? Am I helping? And how am I going to do that? Because you have to change it from words into actions. So that's why I find it so helpful to, at the beginning of the week, to think about what's going on this week. I look look at my diary. Are these things that I am doing or putting into my diary actually helping me fulfill my purpose, my goals, the long-term goals, medium, short so I think about it, you know, at the beginning of the, when it goes in my diary, I look at it again at the beginning of the week. I reflect on things in the evening, what's gone on in the day, what am I going to be doing tomorrow? So in that way, that there's lots of reflection going on. But actually, it's also good to take time out just to be, just to think. And is that something you've always done, that sort of structure around how you plan look ahead take time out to think really even questioning 
other things in your diary, the meetings in your diary take taking you forward? Because that's a challenge that I'm sure the vast majority of listeners will will relate to this sense of they're not in control of their diary. So many meetings are going in. So many of them, they feel like they're not a good use of, of their time. So I just wonder, have you always operated in that way? Or did there come a point where sort of you, you decided you had to make a change and adopted some new routines and habits? No, I haven't always worked like this. I think it, it these sort of habits form from a crisis very often. And it was a realisation at one point, particularly um, going back to the early days and when we started to grow, it became impossible for me to do everything. I had to delegate. I had to learn to delegate, which I found so painful and so frightening. But it had to be done or I wasn't going to achieve anything. And I, I know I have a tendency to be a little bit chaotic. I live in the future. That's sort of, I feel, where I, I can see things and I want to get there as quickly as possible. But I've learned you also have to bring people with you, otherwise you'll get there fast, but you're there on your own and you're not effective. So you have to sort of scale things back and make sure you bring people with you. I, th I think the process was set in by, I had a friend of mine who's very methodical about life. And she stepped in and said, well, hold on a minute, you're all over the place. Just think about what you're doing and learn to think and sort of take that yeah. helicopter view. And that's when the process started. So it, it is all about habit forming and it's just progressed. I used to just do it maybe once a week, every couple of weeks. But now it, it is something that I have to stay on top of. And also I, learning to work on your own agenda because if you don't, other people will get you onto their agenda, and that's the most dangerous place to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. it's very much it's focused on me staying on my agenda and our team's agendas and knowing what's going on. And because as a business grows, you end up having fingers in lots of pies. You you have to be able to look down on the business and see what's going on, and you have to look forward to see what's coming. And the only way I can do it is being as organized and disciplined about my time as I possibly can be. Yeah, I love that point around working on your own agenda. And it just reminds me of so many of the business sayings and cliches that we hear. But actually, I think they're, they're cliches because often there's so much truth in them, right? Just the ones around, if you're not working to your plan, you're working to somebody else's, which is so, so true. And I know we've not really been talking about, about email, but the same with email, right? Kind of our inbox isn't our to-do list. And I often think of my inbox as a list of somebody else's priorities a lot of the time rather than rather than mine. But we can so easily become become a slave to it, can't we? Yeah, absolutely. And and if you think about it, I don't know about you, but I think certainly most people, their inbox is full of emails from people that you've never asked for this email to turn up. And then suddenly we feel obliged to respond because that's the polite thing to do. But the reality is, if you get in a few hundred emails a day, how on earth can you respond so you end up having to get them filtered before they even get to you? Yeah. There's something else I'm really interested to ask you about, and this is turning into a, a real leadership masterclass, I think, in some of the most common challenges that, that people face. You touched on delegation a few minutes back and how you suddenly had to do it and how I think you said how difficult you, you found it. 
how did you overcome that that difficulty and get comfortable or or, or get better at delegating? Because again, that's something that so many people will that, that will resonate for so many people. I really had challenges with it because I thought nobody was better than me, <laughs> and it was or that was what I was doing. I just got reached a crunch point where I simply couldn't do everything, and I had to hand things over. And I, one of the, you know, in many cases, I realised that actually I was delegating to people that were better than me at it, and that does give a degree of comfort. I mean, you can't just assume that you're always responsible, even though you delegate. But I think it is getting to know that person you're delegating, know what their strengths are, being clear on what you're expecting, because. Poor communication is usually, is often the cause of things going wrong and making sure you've got the timelines in place to either get it back to you or ensure that the work is carried out. But I think that I started delegating as soon as I took over the law firm right? because I was passing on client work, which was very often the hardest thing to pass on because you want the best for the client, but you have. I had to learn to trust in the people that we had, and they were doing a great job. Yeah. But you know, the the reality of my role is, I have to whichever role I'm in, I have to make myself redundant mm. to be able to move on to the next role. And that's scary for many people, isn't it? But um, I, I totally agree with you. That I think, in many ways, that should be one of the primary goals of a leader, right? To try and make ourselves redundant because we can only do that by developing our people so well that kind of we're, we're not required. They can make the decisions without us. We've got the systems and the processes in, in the business so it doesn't require our, our hand on the tiller. Yeah, and isn't that how we create a legacy? Yeah, for sure. And that that gets really exciting then when you you can see your seed of an idea and purpose really growing and developing to a point where you can say actually this is going to go this is going to run past my days that almost feels like brilliant job done yeah so what's the legacy you're working towards then teresa do you have a vision of what that is i want to see a more compassionate legal service right particularly in the areas that we work in. We, we help people going through life-changing situations. They get divorced, they lose a loved one. Even moving home is in, incredibly stressful. So when clients come to us, they are very often vulnerable in their circumstances. And we see clients who need help. They need to understand that we're going to stay with them from the minute they instruct us right through to the stage where they can say, fantastic, I'm out the other side. Thanks for a brilliant service. Mm. And we want, we're part of our communities. So we, we are trusted advisors. And I think many, the way the legal profession is going, much of that gets lost. It's very easy to criticise solicitors for our law firms for how they uh, treat clients for what they do. But actually, solicitors and law firms are the difference makers in communities. We fill in gaps where there are no other services for people, particularly in the elderly client area, where people haven't got families. We stand in to make sure that their financial position is preserved as much as possible. Mm. So I feel the legacy is to leave the community law firms 
intact and thriving and showing that they are viable, they are needed and they belong in the communities and that it's an honourable profession to be in and we should be very proud of what we do. I guess the law profession, like many, many others, if, you want, if we want to use this disruption word, there is an element of a disruption, right, with online kind of law firms, legal firms, solicitors. But just listening to you talk there about your legacy and what you're trying, trying to create and the role that solicitors can form in the communities, an online legal service can, can never provide that, can it? can never provide that piece that you've just, you've just described, which in many ways is what people need when they turn to a solicitor, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not critical of online. There are times when that, that's fine. But there are so many times when more is needed and people need to feel that there is a, somewhere they can go where they can meet face-to-face if they want to. A lot of our meetings are on um, Teams or Zoom, but there's still that trust when somebody knows they can come in and see us face-to-face. We're there, and we've been there a long time. And I, I mentioned it earlier, the trusted legal advisor sits alongside your doctor, your accountant, all those people that look after you and look after your family. That trust is so important. That, that, that is the glue that keeps things together. And when people will, you know, we, we have clients who rely on us to make sure that their financial well-being is looked after when they can't, if they lose mental capacity. So if the, the local law firms all disappear, who's going to step into that role? Hmm. You know, the big nationals, unlikely, they're not going to be interested because you have to know this person. Online, it's impossible or very, very challenging. Going back to your question, my legacy is to raise profile, the profile of what we do, Mm -hmm. the reality of what we do and where we fill in gaps and why it's so important. And that's quite nice because it brings us full circle and back to a follow-up question I wanted to ask you based on something you said very early on. So you've spoken a lot, Teresa, about service, about sort of your deep sense of of purpose and how the whole journey stemmed from your own own experience of your of your divorce which then got you talking about kind of the your why and the why for the business as you've grown and as you continue to grow how do you make sure the people that you're bringing into the law firm have got that same passion sense of purpose as you do and will give the level of service that you aspire to give to to all of your clients i think it starts at the recruitment because recruitment is a two-way process isn't it we say that we interviewed but actually people interview us as well and we're very honest about what our purpose is why we work the way we do and we we're very open we say that you know our mindset is very important how we nurture our attitude our clients are so important to us but we all always say that it starts firstly we have a platform for us all to work on and we have to look after that and we have to preserve it and then the next layer we have our teams of people we're nothing without them and then we have our clients so we we always share with um and everyone who joins us why we do what we do 
and why we run something called our business academy where we talk about growth personal growth development we talk about thinking you know thinking about and um, being intentional about what you want with your life and if you you know even if they decide in a few years time it's not with us that's absolutely fine but people have got to be willing to buy into that that we are a growth focused firm not just financially but personally because the better our people are the better we will be and they have to be willing to invest in being the best version of themselves to deliver the best service to our clients so we work very hard to ensure that people have the time and the space to think about actually what does my life look like how am i going to create my legacy do i want it to be with this firm and if they don't want to do that you know, naturally they won't be a good fit with us yeah and are there any i guess telltale signs or things you're looking for at the the recruitment phase to try and identify those people because it strikes me the sort of stuff you're describing in an interview they're the sorts of things that everyone is going to talk about and say is important to them kind of growth and service but the reality is not everybody is probably quite so passionate about personal development being intentional world-class service as as you would like them to be so how do you how do you spot in an interview the ones where that's that's really them and perhaps the others who are dialing it up for for an interview should we say yeah well it's very difficult and I don't usually do first interviews and I don't sometimes I don't get to the interview at all because we have a team of people who interview we feel that creates a diversity across the board and there, there is no super magic answer to this because, yes, of course, people can sit, say whatever they feel you want to hear. Yeah. And there's stock answers you can download off the internet. But if you see somebody face to face, there is often an energy that comes with a person. Oh, there's always an energy that comes with a person. And you can pick up when they are just not buying into what you're talking about. Not always. Sometimes, you know, I always say you never know what you're getting until somebody sat in that office with you in the same way as they never know what they're coming to. But I, I, I have yet to find the elusive answer. You can look at psychometric testing. You can do all sorts of things. But I do feel, you know, particularly at the moment, it's rather foolish for somebody to join an organisation when they're screaming out, we're all about personal growth, when they just don't want to. What is that going to achieve? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I, I wish I could give you the golden nugget there, Ben, but unfortunately, please share it with me if you've got one. Well, I think that's the point, isn't it? I, I, I think you're spot on. I, I don't think there is one, right? We're all searching for it, but, but there's not. You're right, it's the intangibles it's the things we can't ascertain via a question it is part of the energy there is there's no silver bullet answer is there and sometimes we'll 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 get it wrong and we bring people in who who don't don't quite fit no and and sometimes i i think it's i don't think it's intentional very often it's not an intentional thing i i think somebody can join and really buy into the whole concept but actually the reality of it because it does take some work yeah 
and it's just not for them and that's absolutely fine too you know that we we're all different and we we celebrate our our differences but it's probably not going to work with us yeah i've never thought of it this way before actually but it just occurred to me that sort of the standard interview process of two maybe three interviews imagine if we applied the same approach to sort of dating we go on two or three dates with somebody go oh that's it we're a fit Let, let's move in like the chances of it working out are quite slim really so chances of getting the odd person in to join our organization who doesn't fit is it's going to happen right i mean ideally you could say to somebody why don't you come and join this for three months and see let's see what we think at the end of it if it works for both of us but of course that's not really a viable option in many cases. So it it really is just a case of you have to believe that you're getting the best person for the role and go with it. But if it's not, you know, if it becomes clear that it's not working, I think you have to jump in and say, I, I think we may not be a good fit. I think that's the key, isn't it? When you realise that, it's too act sort of with empathy compassionately but still to kind of have the conversation and kind of act quickly rather than letting letting things drift because that's certainly something I've learned over the years as in all my careers and working as a HR director most big performance management issues that end up taking up a lot of time and sitting with the HR department it's often because there was something small or conversation that didn't take place early on when it should have and this thing has just grown and grown and grown yeah and it's so important to protect the work environment because if that becomes toxic it spreads Mm. and that's the last thing any business needs yeah reminds me of a phrase from the from the army when i served which was the standard you walk past is the standard you you accept it's the same with culture isn't it every time you just let something go or just ignore it everyone else around you kind of sees that and slowly the culture starts to drop to to the sort of lowest acceptable standard really yeah and it's so difficult to get back yeah yeah it's a real battle yeah, I absolutely agree. It's it's making sure everyone is aware of what is expected of them. Mm. And we're a multi-site office, so it's that ha- has its added complexities because it, every office can have its own mini microculture. Mm. So keeping everyone connected and on the same page takes work. Yeah. And that comes back to our, our business academy, our executive team meetings. It's all to bring people together from our different offices to actually stay on the same page and stay with the same vision and purpose and get energized about it, to believe in it and want to drive it forward. And we're always looking for people who want to stand up and say, look, what about this? I've got this idea. And that that's wonderful to have. And we want more of that. So that's our big push going forward. As we grow again, we want people who are really saying, yeah, I, I, I love what, you, what this is all about and I want to play an active part, not just in the client work, but in driving this forward in the leadership, in the management, in the operations, how we work. Yeah, that feels like a wonderful place to pause, Teresa, and for me to ask a few of the regular quickfire questions I like to ask to to draw the episode to a close. 
So this one I always now have to caveat with other than your smartphone, because that's what everybody used to say. So other than your smartphone, what would you say is one item that if it were to be lost, broken or stolen, you would immediately find yourself rushing out to replace? This is going to be the most boring answer I'm sure you've ever had. But it's my my specs, my glasses. Yeah. <laughs> it would be disastrous. I've got so many backups just in case right. because that just stops play. Yeah, I love this question because we get such a range of answers. I've had people have said their, their specs. Have somebody said their oven because they love baking? Somebody said their dignity. So the the range and interpretation is is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what is one book that has had a really significant impact upon you or perhaps a book you find yourself frequently recommending to other people? I've read loads of books and, my goodness, when I started out, I loved the John Maxwell books. Mm. They were just such easy reads on leadership. I loved his five levels of leadership. I thought I found that really enlightening in the early days. The 21 Laws. 21 Laws, yeah, they're they're great reminders where we need to be. But I I think one of the books that stays with me and sort of haunts me, and it's a great what-if book, is Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh, because it's one of those challenging books. I've come across that. I'm just scribbling it down to, to look that up. It was recommended to me by a friend. And it's about a guy who's down on his luck in the 90s and starts writing to God. Wow. And he gets in the flow and God writes back. All sounds a bit mad. But some of the topics that are covered in there, they stop me in my tracks. I thought, my goodness, there's some really valuable lessons there, some stuff to really think about and think into. So is it... Is it fictional or is it a true story in so much it was at the gent- the author's actual lived experience? It's a, it's a lived experience wow. and it's it talks about lots and it covers so many different topics. But one that was um, particularly struck home to me was why we experience things. Mm. We all have tough times. But if we didn't have tough times, how would we know what the good times are? Yeah. And I loved that. And there's so those little nuggets in there that just stayed with me and makes me think. Yeah. A little bit quirky, but stay with it because the nuggets are in there. Do you know what? I'm going to go and uh, order that now. I'm a big believer in trying to read books from different genres and books that you wouldn't necessarily norm- normally read. So that's for sure one that's going on on my list. Thank you. And final question, Teresa. What would you say are three key qualities for leaders right now, today, in the world and environment we find ourselves working and living in? There's loads, isn't there? But there's foundational ones. And there's trust and integrity go as a master. People have to trust you as a leader. If you don't have their trust, you can't lead. And trust is influence. And if you can influence people, you can create change. You know, you can open the door to things that you want to change. It creates actions. It takes you from words to actions. I think integrity is, is, is a huge fundamental internal integrity and external. You know, how we live our lives when people aren't watching because that spills over into the external, what people see. You know, people see so much more than we show. 
willingness to listen is another big one because that's our feedback. We've got to take people with us and we've got to be willing to change and be open to other opinions, other viewpoints. It may not take us off our purpose and probably won't, but we have to listen. It's it's more really to do with the way that we do things. How are we making people feel? What are our actions? Are we approachable? And I've just got one more that I, I, I really love, and that's perseverance. That's so important because times do get tough. Yeah. Things do go wrong. And you just got to get up and keep persevering and trying until you get there. Yeah. Which probably brings us nicely back to, to purpose as well. I, I think if we've got a real sense of purpose, if we're really doing what we do for a reason, then it does make it easier to persevere, doesn't it? Because we're working towards something that we truly care about and, and believe in. So they go hand in hand and one fuels the other probably. Absolutely. And it tests your purpose, doesn't it? And it tra- tests your uh, your conviction and your beliefs. And each test strengthens mm. that. So we should be grateful for it. Yeah. Sometimes that's easier said than done. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa, thank you so much for your time today. It's felt like we've covered so much ground, but very quickly went quite deep and really got to the to the heart of a number of different different topics. So I've enjoyed the conversation so much, and I know for sure listeners are going to get so much value from this. So really appreciate your time and sharing your thoughts, wisdom, and experience with us. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure. There you have it. That was episode 107. I told you it was a cracking episode and I'm pretty confident you will agree having listened to it. For me, there were just so many golden nuggets of information that we can take away and use and apply straight away to just notch up our leadership capability that little bit more. If you did enjoy it, folks, then please do rate and review the show wherever you're listening. And I would love to hear what you think. So the best way to do that is to probably connect with me or drop me a line over on LinkedIn, where I'm most active. You can find me on there very easily as Ben Morton Leadership. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got value from it. And I will speak to you again soon in the next episode. Until then, lead on.